Welcome to The Conversation. This podcast is produced by QSource as part of Medicare's quality improvement organization efforts to share information, educate clinical staff, and encourage improvement through best practices. Each episode discusses a topic that is timely and applicable to you, your staff, and your patients. In this episode, the conversation is about the Living Longer, Living Better guide for nursing homes. We break from our regular format of host, Kathy Ray, leading the conversation, to that of our guest moderator, Dr. Joanne Burke. She brings together six guests and two QSource quality improvement advisors together to share their experience with using the guide and discusses how their organization is working together to make a difference. This is the third in a four-part series. We want to welcome back Dr. Joanne Burke to our ongoing conversation podcast series today. Um, we are focused on the Indiana Commission on Aging's Living Longer, Living Better guide, where local communities and their healthcare providers will become more age and dementia friendly as we continue to care for older adults living in our communities. We are on a series of podcasts, and we have had two successful podcasts prior. Um, very happy to have conversations about the senior centers and faith communities um, participating in this guide. So we always ask our listeners to visit our website to um, gather that information. If you might have missed those prior conversations, please feel free to do so. But today we have a lot of panelists with us today. Uh, we're excited to continue the conversation. Uh, we are focused on nursing homes and community agencies um, collaborating together on work groups around uh, the Living Longer, Living Better project, uh, focusing and addressing those social determinants of health and healthcare equity issues. So before we get started, uh, we'd like to do a quick introduction of who's with us today. And Dr. Joanne, do you want to get us started with introductions? Hi, I'm uh, Joanne Burke, and I am chair of the Indiana Commission on Aging, and have had the pleasure to work with um, each of our speakers today, as well as many other people in Indiana and organizations as we work to try to uh, prepare our uh, communities and the people in Indiana for some pretty exciting changes that are about to happen here in Indiana with the care of older adults. So it's a pleasure to be with you today. And we have Patty with us. Patty, would you like to introduce yourself? Sure, my name is Patty Pachaki. I am the program director and the director of continuing education for the Institute for Excellence and Memory Care. We are a division of Alzheimer's and Dementia Services of Northern Indiana, as well as Real Services, which is our area two area on aging here in the South Bend, Central Northern Indiana area. Um, I'm a recreational therapist, as well as I've been in a memory support coordinator, and as well as been working in long-term care, assisted living, all different types of elder care for over 27 years. Perfect. Angel Wazinski. Uh, hi, my name is Angel Bajinski. I'm the Director of Alzheimer's and Dementia Services of Northern Indiana, so I work with Patty, 
and um, she said it very well. We cover the north central Indiana counties, 11 counties up here, and we focus on caregiver, uh, both professional and family education. Thank you, Natalie. Hi, I'm Natalie Sutton. I'm the executive director of the Alzheimer's Association Greater Indiana Chapter. We are the leading national voluntary health organization in Alzheimer's care support and research. Uh, we work across the variety of pillars of our strategic plan to advance policy for those living with dementia and their caregivers, as well as to provide care and support services to our communities um, to offer education and support. Great, thank you. Dustin. Hi, my name is Dustin Ziegler. I am uh, transitioning to Vice President of Clinical Integration and Partnerships. Uh, in, the, in that role, it's a pretty heavy focus on what it sounds like, um, partnering with health and hospital systems to optimize healthcare deliveries uh, models uh, in partnership with SOCOA, which is um, the largest area agency on aging in the state of Indiana. Uh, to optimize health outcomes for this patient population. And um, Sokoa is also the statewide administrator for the Dementia Friends Indiana movement here in Indiana, which made Indiana the 10th state in the nation to adopt such a model. Um, and I never know how quite to describe it, but I guess you could say I'm the uh, founding architect of, of that movement, if you will. Um, that's that's uh, caught fire and uh, really excited to be here and uh, love working with Joanne and, and really believe in this movement. Perfect, thank you. Hi, Lisa. Hi there. My name is Lisa Fournier, and I am the project coordinator for the University of Southern Indiana uh, Geriatrics Workforce Enhancement Program grant. That was long. Uh, at any rate, one of our core focus is uh, to focus on dementia-friendly communities, and we're happy to say that we've helped to launch with our area agencies on aging down here in southwestern Indiana, in uh, Petersburg, Rockport, and we hope soon to be the USI community. Great. Deb. Hi, I'm Deb Lambert. I'm the uh, president and CEO of Byron Wellness Systems uh, in Fort Wayne, Indiana, and we are a long-term care provider. Um, we have two memory care neighborhoods uh, specifically designed for men and women um, to, to be separated because um, sometimes that's what we need. Um, and I have been doing, I have been working in this field for over 25 years. Um, I have spent some time as a volunteer facilitator for the Alzheimer's Association. It's something that we're very passionate about here and we're, we've been fortunate enough to um, do some programming work with Tipa Snow and uh, have a, a few of our staff here certified um, through some of the certification options offered through Leading Age Indiana. Um, as well as offered through the Indiana Healthcare Association. Wonderful. And we have two QSource advisors with us today. Teresa? Hello, I'm Teresa Hosteller and, and I'm with QSource. I'm, I'm a quality improvement um, advisor. I work with the long-term care facilities um, and I have been a long-term care nurse for 20 one years. Thank you, Teresa. And Kara Dawson. 
Good afternoon, everybody. Uh, my name is Kara Dawson, and I am the lead quality improvement advisor here at QSource uh, with a main focus in nursing homes, but also do some community work here in central Indiana as well. Um, I am a nurse and have almost 30 years of long-term care experience and I'm super excited about um, this guide and implementing this across um, the state of Indiana. All right, great. Well, welcome everyone. We're glad you're with us. Dr. Burke, do you want to get us started and uh, get us on the right track? Thank you. Well, as I said initially, much is happening in Indiana and uh, there's lots of opportunities for initiating some age and dementia friendly initiatives across the state. So I'm very happy in this podcast we have um, representatives from organizations across the state and people working all over the state. So transformation of services provided to older adults in Indiana who need assistance with daily living and meet qualifications for Medicaid is certainly in process. This is being driven both by cost and by COVID. By 2024, the state's target is that 75% of those who meet nursing home level of care and qualify for Medicaid will receive services in home and community-based services, settings rather. Currently, over 60% of nursing home beds in Indiana are funded by Medicaid. Thus, Indiana is deinstitutionalizing the care of older adults who qualify for Medicaid instead of a fee-for-service system of payment. Half the states have already made this change. The challenge for Indiana communities is that we do not have adequate numbers of home and community-based services because we have been so heavily dependent on nursing home care. Families will be expected to provide more care for their loved ones as we move to this model. Local communities need to examine their zoning ordinances as more older adults will be living with their adult children. Adult day services will be needed for older adults who need assistance with activities of daily living while their families are at work. And more personal care assistance will be needed to help families provide care at home if their loved one has extensive needs for assistance with daily activities such as bathing. These issues are linked to health equity and social determinants of health. The Living Longer, Living Better Guide developed by the Indiana Commission on Aging encourages local communities to take a grassroots approach to addressing social determinants of health and to increasing age and dementia-friendly initiatives. In this podcast, we're going to discuss dementia-friendly initiatives being instituted in nursing homes, and then we will hear about dementia-friendly initiatives for those who are living in their own homes or with their adult children. Let's talk about dementia-friendly initiatives in nursing homes first. We know that we will have uh, many people who, who have dementias who may need care beyond what will be available in their own home settings. So we certainly will need nursing homes. We need nursing homes. But there are things in nursing homes we know that that we can think about and do and improve to kind of help people have a better quality of life if they have dementia. So today, Deb, I've asked Deb Lambert to 
uh, come into the conversation and, and talk a bit about how she sees uh, some improvements or some changes that could happen in nursing home care that could be helpful to people who have dementias. Deb, would you join in the conversation, please? Yeah, thanks, uh, Dr. Burke. I really appreciate the opportunity. Um, basically, I think probably, you know, th this is a big question and, and did probably talk about this myself for an hour, and obviously I'm not going to do that, but um, I think probably a couple of the key areas of opportunity in the long-term care community when it comes to better dementia programming is obviously getting the training that I think some of your subsequent uh, speakers will be talking about. And I know that that's something we've um, not only allowed, but encouraged our staff to do. Um, and, but I think, and so what that does is like for our residents with memory care uh, issues, um, we have like lap baskets and reminiscence kits. And so um, those are things designed specifically for the residents with their personal history um, that they have engaged in all their life. So, for example, if we had somebody that was um, into photography their whole life, we would have um, a reminiscent kit full of uh, maybe old uh, cameras and some uh, photos that they had taken. We'd have a lot of um, photo albums of, of things that are meaningful to them that they would that would trigger positive memories for them so that we could talk with them about those types of things that they used to do in their life um, and i think those are the kind of things just really trying to personalize that care typically in long-term care the reason that that folks that come to live with us is a lot of times um, the, their caregiver has either become sick themselves or um, unfortunately, they, maybe they've passed away. And so there's, there's no one else typically that, that can take the time to, to take care of them. So trying to personalize um, what we surround them with, decorating their rooms. Um, we always tell our families, gosh, as many things that you can bring here into our community that they had in their bedroom that they can connect to, those are all things that are going to let them think, oh, okay, I recognize that bedspread. This is my bedroom. I recognize, you know, that, you know, and it may be a picture of them back when they were 30, 40 years old, because that may be where they are in their process. But something that tells them, yes, this is, this is my space. I'm safe here. I belong here. Um, so those are the kind of things that I think are, are really important, especially for the transition period of someone with dementia moving into to our community. And then I think having the dedicated staff. So um, we work very hard to have the same staff work the same neighborhood so that they really get to know that resident. So we know that, you know, Mrs. Smith doesn't like to get up until 8.30, so we let her sleep in. But Mrs. Jones, she does not want to miss her coffee and sitting and chatting with the other ladies for breakfast. So we definitely want to get her up by seven o'clock because she likes to get, you know, all dressed up and looking good for breakfast. So um, those, uh, I think those are, you know, really some of the things that, that um, I would say would give a, a high quality experience to folks that we serve that have dementia. Thank you. Um, Patty, you uh, do some training in nursing homes. Would you like 
please join the conversation about some of the training that you're doing in institutional care and uh, perhaps you and, and Deb could discuss that then. Sure. Yes, as part of the Institute for Excellence in Memory Care, uh, our goal is to provide educational opportunities for our healthcare professionals that are out there. And I know from my own personal experience, when I was looking for advanced memory support, and I had been in memory support for many, many years, but there's nothing better than being updated with the new updated things that are out there, especially with the state of Indiana. If you go to a conference in Chicago or New York, things are different than in the state of Indiana. So when I joined the Institute in 2017, we were looking how do we make professional education for dementia specific for the state of Indiana that's specially designed for us, the grassroots of Indiana. And we knew that the training that was out there were just a few hours. And when you are leading a memory support unit um, or in just in general, really want to do advanced memory support, you really need more than just a few hours of training. You need to have a really good bag of tricks, if you will. So we got together and we looked at what the Alzheimer's Association recommended for best standards of education. And we took that upon ourselves and we created our very own curriculum here with the Institute for Excellence in Memory Care. And so we decided that we were going to have it reviewed by the Alzheimer's Association, and they gave us a thumbs up. In fact, we were one of three um, uh, curriculums in the United States uh, during the time that actually met all 10 of those categories of, of uh, standards, which we were you know, high-fiving ourselves for. So with that, we actually have two different types of uh, certification training for our professionals that are out there. The first one is what we call the Certified Memory Care Professional Training. And this covers, it's, it's for direct care staff. I've had individuals from administrators to individuals who are in environmental services, dining and nutrition services, activities, the entire gamut of long-term care, assisted living, uh, community home-based services. And this is actually a three-day training, really focusing on every aspect of memory support. So if you think if you do the math, that's 21 hours instead of just a few little hours here and there of just kind of skimming the top of memory support. And then we thought, you know, how, what are we going to do for those memory support coordinators? Because you really need to know the ins and outs of every regulation. And, and regulations change almost, it seems like, almost every day. And especially with Indiana, again, it's a very unique state versus other states around there. So we actually have an advanced uh, certification and that's for qualified memory care professionals. And that's two additional days. And that allows our memory support professionals out there to actually do training, not only for other professionals in the field, but also for family caregivers and family care partners and other members in the community that really want to have a little bit more than just Alzheimer's and Dementia 101. So along with that, we also provide the six hours of training that every healthcare professional needs to have when they enter a, mil a building. Many organizations right now with a short staff and, and trying to uh, make sure that they meet all the standards of training, we are actually providing that training not only in person, but we're also providing that online. So we try to work with our healthcare organizations throughout the state of Indiana and actually throughout the Midwest to make sure that they get that training that they need. 
Uh, we also realize that many of our community and homebound services also need that additional type of memory support training as well. So we just created our curriculum that just rolled out in the beginning of this year so that organizations who need to have more of those trainings, how to care for those clients with dementia, how to care for those family members out there. So we actually created our own curriculum that is basically a training kit for organizations so they can take it upon themselves and they can actually do training or they can contact us and we can do that as well. We even work with organizations. Uh, we had several information uh, organizations that were interested from hospices and palliative care companies. Uh, we had many home-based services that contacted us and said, well, how do we handle a person with end-of-life and dementia? It's a very unique end-of-life experience for some of these individuals. So we came up with our own curriculum on that. It's called end-of-life professional education for that. We also provide webinars for professionals who want more than just an average, you know, what is Alzheimer's dementia. If they can't get onto a TIPA snow video, if they can't go to those conferences. So in 2019, August of 2019, we decided let's try the Zoom webinar and let's see what we can do and see how people like it. Well, lo and behold, people loved it. Professionals love going to our webinars. They love going for one hour during our lunch breaks and enjoying our webinars. And we touch on topics that you don't usually hear about. For example, Lewy by dementia or the differences between Parkinson's dementia, or even we're doing one here in a few weeks on CTE that not very many people think about, but we're gonna have to think about individuals who have this condition and how is it gonna affect our um, home-based services. What are we going to do for those individuals? So we are touching on topics in our webinars that professionals love. And to be honest with you, because of COVID-19, because of, of our professionals not being able to get out to those conferences, now they're still being able to get those educational opportunities during lunch, uh, 12 to one o'clock. We're watching the prices. And so um, you know, we're, we're making those opportunities available for any of our professionals so that they can, you know, really enjoy, um, you know, exceptional care and, and exceptional training at the same time. So we're bringing it to those individuals. And we're even doing training. Um, so if a, a facility somewhere in southern Indiana can't make it to a conference, we take the conference to them. So they can easily have, uh, say, a, a specialized training on communication and dementia, and they could get their memory support neighborhood uh, staff in a room, and they can actually have specific special training that I will do just for their organization because everybody's different. But what I really love about the Institute is that we have the freedom to not only update all of our information as needed because regulations change, so much has changed because of COVID-19. And so we have the ability to really focus on what is the needs of Indiana? What's the needs for our professionals in our area so that we can fine tune it uh, so it's really focusing on our, our crews here and how we're going to be changing it and make better dementia care in our state. Wow, you have really expanded a lot of your uh, training offerings uh, and uh, it's certainly uh, certainly needed and will be appreciated across the state, I, I, I know. Um, other questions, uh, comments? 
Well, I was going to just um, plug in QSource, and I don't know if Teresa and Kara, if they would like to piggyback on some of those resources that we can offer as well in conjunction. Sure, uh, this is Kara Dawson with QSource, and um, some of the things that we have been offering, um, we have several of our team members who are um, certified in the TIPA Snow Positive Approach to Care Dementia Training. Um, and three of us just actually went through the advanced um, training so we can train a trainer now within a facility or a community. Um, and an out of the box idea that I had during this training is how can we spread this um, not only to nursing homes, but out to caregivers within communities and um, maybe even people um, who are in early stages of their dementia so that um, they can help their loved ones that um, are caring for them. And so we are um, in the very, very early stages of planning um, roadshows throughout the state of um, Indiana to cover all of our soon to be um, 12 communities in which we are going to offer to nursing homes, community members, businesses, caregivers, um, whomever wants to attend kind of that community-based um, dementia training and uh, around that positive approach to care. So it not only helps with um, dealing with those with dementia, but it also shows them how we can handle some of those behaviors that we're seeing and prevent those behaviors as well. So really super excited to um, share some of our training opportunities that we have throughout the state um, to, to all community members and organizations. Joanne, we I had a personal experience that I shared with Kara when I was at Kroger's. Um, and I happened to just get out of the car and see uh, this woman uh, aimlessly walking through the parking lot. And my first instinct was, okay, she can't find her car. So I watched for a little bit and she came over to me and she said, I have dementia. I can't find my car. And I said, well, let me help you. Um, she said, my husband is here somewhere. I don't know where he is. At this point, she's getting emotional, right? So we got her out of the parking lot and up under the uh, canopy there at Kroger's. And lo and behold, I wouldn't say probably two or three minutes, and her husband came out with the staff at Kroger's because they know her, they know her husband, they knew how to approach her. They had a wonderful approach. And all I did was sit back and watch. And I was amazed at just the compassion and the ability to understand where she's coming from to connect her back. And her husband, you know, was there as well. But what a testimony to whatever training they've had, if they've had any at all, <laughs> on dementia and how to approach that person in the parking lot. So I did share that with Kara and I thought, you know, what a great way to get out to the community and share these trainings with folks in the business world that are in restaurants or in the stores and that kind of a thing. So I wanted to share that with you, Joanne. 
Well, this is Joanne. Thank you very much. Well, you're taking us right into some further discussion uh, that we wanted to have in this podcast. And uh, one of the things you've pointed out is that uh, uh, there are caregivers of those of, of people who have dementia. Not everyone will be in institutions. We certainly need uh, nursing home care. We need we need memory units and assisted living facilities, etc. Uh, but a number of people will be living at home and and the caregivers that the loved ones will be taking care of them, whether it's adult children or or a spouse or a friend or a neighbor. And uh, I just want to point out before we go a little further in our discussion, obviously not all old not all older adults have dementias. <laughs> But uh, the the and and older adults are very active in their communities, doing many many wonderful things. We have so many grandparents raising grandchildren. We have older adults who are mentoring children. We have older adults doing all kinds of wonderful things in communities. Some people stay very functional across their entire lives. However, there are ten thousand of us turning. 65 every day so there are a lot of us and uh, some of us will struggle with dementias and unfortunately for many of these dementias there's not a fix we don't have a cure for alzheimer's um, there are several kinds of dementias for some there are are as a better prognosis than for others but it is brain damage so uh, as of now, we do not have um, a cure for, for some of this. So um, Natalie, uh, as we begin to, uh, to uh, take a look at what's happening in home and community settings now with people who are living out in the community and are experiencing dementias, could you bring us up to date a little bit with some of the information you might be able to share with us from the Alzheimer's Association? Thank you. Absolutely. Um, and in fact, uh, probably most of the Hoosiers who have some form of dementia are living in the community. And so I'm really glad that you pointed that out. Um, certainly a diagnosis of a memory issue, Alzheimer's disease, or another form of dementia can be very overwhelming, not only for the person living with the disease, but also for the caregiver. And we hear from many caregivers that um, no medical appointment or doctor appointment or diagnosis uh, ever really onboarded or oriented them to their role as a caregiver. And so uh, we really believe that the caregiver is part of the journey from the beginning and just recognizing that this can be overwhelming for both the person living with the disease and the caregiver. Uh, what I find is that as there is a, an awareness of the disease or possibly a diagnosis, possibly other times someone's dealing with memory issues but may not have a formal diagnosis. And um, while there might be awareness of these conditions, I think we are really lacking community awareness of the resources that exist to support people, uh, whether in the community or in formal care options uh, or living in a, 
a long-term care community. Uh, and so, you know, I would advocate that one of the best things you can do uh, if you're engaging with someone who has dementia or their caregiver, one of the best things you can do is really to share the resources that exist. Uh, the Alzheimer's Association certainly provides some care and support resources in our community. Uh, one of the best ways that people get connected is by calling our 24-7 helpline, staffed around the clock with professionals who are able to handle any question, big or small. So sometimes that might be a question, a uh, very basic question about the disease. It may also be a question about a particular situation or uh, experience that your family is having related to the dementia. And because it's 24-7, we know that issues with dementia don't always present themselves neatly uh, during business hours. So having that resource around the clock or during the holidays when we go home to reunite with our family members, uh, it's a very valuable way to just make an initial call and get some additional resources and support. Our website, ALZ.org, is also a wealth of information and resources. And in addition, we offer education programs in the community. So a business group, a community organization would be able to engage with the Alzheimer's Association and ho host one of those educational presentations um, that might be about how to communicate with someone with dementia or uh, being aware of dementia-related behaviors or even knowing the signs of Alzheimer's or another dementia, uh, showing the, the differences between what's normal aging and what is dementia. Uh, so we offer a lot of those programs and resources. We also have support groups throughout the state of Indiana. And I would just really urge people to take advantage of those resources and help us spread the word about those resources. Uh, additionally, at the Alzheimer's Association, we're a science-based organization. Uh, we work to advance research, and I just really would like to make the point that uh, there is a lot of hope in the research community right now and a lot of important work happening both here in Indiana and globally uh, that will hopefully advance the science, help us better understand the causes, and ultimately uh, develop treatments and approaches uh, to managing the medical condition. So uh, we we remain hopeful about that. And, and we're also able to share more information about those efforts in the community. Uh, and then finally, I just want to say that I've really enjoyed listening to the conversation about quality care in professional settings. And that's another key priority for us. Um, the Alzheimer's Association publishes the dementia care practice recommendations, uh, which cover a variety of topics. And a lot of the professional training that's been mentioned uh, certainly uh, is built upon those, um, some of those recommendations and the approach to person-centered quality care. So I just wanna commend everybody else for the great work you're doing. And uh, we're really happy to be a collaborator and to work alongside with so many uh, Hoosiers who are dedicated to this to uh, this effort. This is Joanne. Thank you so much, Natalie. Other comments, uh, questions, discussion with Natalie? My mother had Alzheimer's and uh, I remember my my young grandchildren were, were rather frightened when they went to visit her as she as as the disease progressed and they didn't understand 
why grandma didn't know who they were. And uh, they were, so I think, you know, the resources that can be uh, available to families and uh, to help them discuss the situation with all age groups in the family is, is really helpful. Um, because it was very frightening to my four-year-old grandchild in particular. She didn't understand what was going on with, with uh, great-grandma. I mean, she just didn't get it. So, uh, Anyway. Well, and that's a great example of a situation that's, you know, specific to a family where you could make that call to the helpline and say, this is what our family's struggling with. How might you help us? And I know that we have some books and resources we recommend for young people as well who need to learn about dementia. Um, so Natalie, I had a question. I'm sorry. I was Natalie. gonna say this is, oh, go ahead, sorry. Natalie, do you offer resources then, like Deb had mentioned, for Lewy body dementia, those other types of dementias, you have available resources as well? Absolutely. All of our programs and services are open to people with all forms of dementia. Uh, we were actually founded as the Alzheimer's Disease and Related Disorders Association, but that doesn't quite roll off the tongue. So we go by the Alzheimer's Association, uh, but our vision is a world without Alzheimer's and all other dementia. So uh, we are very inclusive in terms of supporting people with any form of dementia. I think somebody else had a question or a comment. Yeah, this, this is Lisa, Natalie. I was just going to mention, I, I appreciate the part that you were talking about with the caregivers and the care partners and how important it is to support them as well. My mom also had Alzheimer's disease and I was her caregiver for 14 years and I certainly used that hotline and it was uh, it was very beneficial when I had to talk about different perhaps prescriptions that she was on and if they were really, what, what was the point in, and um, you know, being able to talk through some of the actual, I guess you could say components that you go through when you're, you're, you're working with, you know, or taking care of somebody with dementia. And it's certainly not an easy journey, but the one thing I, I really got out of it was you didn't feel as alone. You know, I, w I wasn't involved in a support group, but I'm a big proponent of those by all means now, just wasn't as aware at that point in time, but uh, certainly those resources are very important in the community. I appreciate you sharing that. And for anyone who's listening who may need help or wanna share that helpline number, it's 800-272-3900. Thank you so much. Um, this is Joanne. Um, Dustin, I am thinking as we're having our conversation about first responders who go out and have to um, interface with some people with dementias, with police, uh, you know, the, the uh, really out there on the front lines. How in the world are these people being trained? I'm thinking about the people at Kroger's. I'm thinking about the business. The bank, I'm thinking about a number of, uh, uh, of individuals in a community who will probably be uh, interacting with some of us who, who might develop dementias and, and with families. Uh, tell us a bit about Dementia Friends and, and how you're reaching out across the state. Yeah, thank you. And th I mean, this conversation is awesome because every, every single point that everybody is making, uh, you know, is 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 part of this whole movement of dementia friends indiana 
Um, and so a little background just just for a baseline of understanding about Dementia Friends Indiana. It's actually it's, it's a relatively simple but, but very impactful, um, exciting, what we describe as a social grassroots movement. And the movement consists of basically uh, two components. One, just creating more awareness and understanding of exactly what dementia is as well as what it's not. Um, stigma remains a very challenging component of this condition. And so we look to, uh, to, to break that down. But then the other part, that, you know, the second part about Dementia Friends Indiana, which again speaks to a lot of these examples and these stories is um, so you, so I learned about dementia. Now what am I going to do about it to make my community even just a little bit better? So it's about taking action too. Um, this is the largest, this is the most feared disease in the entire country and arguably, um, but uh, something that I should describe too, I think one of the most dangerous components of this condition is simply the lack of understanding of it. Um, unlike other conditions, despite its extraordinary complexity, we do have a little bit of control over this if we understand it and know how to deal with it as opposed to other um, you know, types of conditions. So that's what Dementia Friends aims to do. Um, and we mentioned the Kroger thing, we mentioned first responders, and I just, I just mentioned how dangerous it can be to not understand. You think about first responders, the outcome of an interaction between a police officer and somebody with dementia can go in two very polar opposite directions, depending on the most basic understanding of the condition, how to approach, how to communicate. Uh, I think most importantly, understanding the perspective of the person with dementia that the officer may be dealing with, knowing how they perceive the world and knowing that their brain um, in just strict reality is not functioning like our brain is. And so their world looks different than ours. Um, but just to be aware of that and how to engage with that can make all the difference in the world. Um, so we talk about first responders. One of my proudest moments, and I know Natalie can attest to this because it just uh, was entered into part of the, the Alzheimer's state plan in Indiana, um, is all first responders now. And I, got, I always have to give credit to Dr. Michael Kaufman, who's the head of EMS at Indiana Department of Homeland Security. His support has enabled uh, Indiana to be the first state in the United States to implement uh, this uh, um, statewide level and extent of dementia education um, and uh, for lack of better words, training among all first responders in the state of Indiana through what's called the ACADIS plat training platform for first responders. That was a huge win, um, not just for the fact that there's that many more first responders educated, but I think it's a huge win too in the fact that it's being received and, and, and is being respected as a training platform. So people are beginning to understand the, the crucial element um, of, of how important these types of things are in our communities. Uh, the, the Kroger story is awesome because, the, I mean, that that's exactly the type of situation and, and the outcome that we want to see in our communities. Uh, you know, Dr. Burke, you mentioned this whole uh, long-term services and supports reform, and this is a very good direction the state is going in and much needed, but particularly with dementia, dementia plays a huge, huge, huge part in all of this, and it's only going to be as successful, in my humble opinion, as um, what our community does about it too. If we want to keep people in their home and out of institutions, it goes beyond just what happens only in the home. It, it also includes what happens when they leave the home. 
and even their welcomeness and and their and I think their um, uh, comfort level with leaving the home, which is also very crucial, uh, particularly for the caregiver. And everybody here has heard me say this, and I know it's a broken record, but you know the caregiver side of things cannot be understated. Uh, this is, as I've always said uh, to anybody who's willing to listen to me, a two-person disease at minimum. You have the person with the actual disease pathology, but um, you also have at least one primary caregiver, informal caregiver, like a spouse or a son or daughter. And we know research shows us the evidence that they, even from a health physiological standpoint, face just as much, if not more, health consequences as as uh, uh, from their caregiving role of folks specifically with dementia um, than sometimes even the person with the condition because of their caregiver stress and duties. And so when we think about that, um, though, you know, these are the types of, of awareness components, I think, that are going to achieve our aim of keeping people in their home and supported um, as opposed to institutionalized care. Um, so these, you know, these these are the factors. And when we again, when we talk about, um, you know, we go back to the Dementia Friends Indiana kind of aim with that community general education and awareness and then taking action. Um, you know, I think it was touched on at one point about younger generations and the youth. And one of our aims um, that we're you know, kind of focusing on now, now that we've had a lot of success just generally across the state with the movement, we want to start to get into the schools. We want to get into the high schools. We want to get into the middle schools because really that's uh, fundamentally where it begins. And I, I, a lot of times I tell the story, I went to Hamilton Heights School District. And if you're, if you're familiar, uh, remember, you know, the Ryan White story with HIV and AIDS. Um, at that time, huge stigma, huge fear. People didn't understand it. Those who had it were embarrassed. They didn't want to talk about it. Um, it was feared. When you, when you look at HIV 25, 30 years ago compared to dementia now, there's a lot of crossover similarities to that. But I remember, as and Ryan White went transferred to Hamilton Heights, which is why, why I mentioned that many years before I before I before I got there. But when I was there, we began. I remember beginning to learn about HIV and the Ryan White story as early as elementary school. And so by the time folks like us got into the real world, HIV had no stigma. It was just a part of society and, and we understand it now because of the intervention that occurred at a, at a youthful age. So we would love to see one of the next steps being, uh, you know, folks graduating, getting into the real world out of high school or whatever, educated to where there is no stigma anymore because it's all been uh, debunked and these, and these kids are educated about exactly what this is. And if we can do that, then our whole society kind of changes, I feel like. Um, so there's, those are just kind of just some thoughts and initial considerations, I think, about the condition and, and about what Dementia Friends Indiana particularly is trying to achieve. Um, Dementia Friends Indiana, it's basic, but again, it's crucial. And one thing that we really, really like, I think, to to uh, to end on, uh, we like the message of Dementia Friends Indiana too, because in addition to the understanding and education of dementia to um, better improve our communities and to better e equip people to um, manage interactions with folks with dementia, it also paints a slight, you know, a more positive angle of the condition uh, to help reduce that fear and stigma. So. 
uh, one of the messages is being that, yeah, you may have dementia, but that doesn't define you. You, you may have dementia, but you know what? You're also a retired pharmacist and you're a grandfather and you're a dog lover and a base and a baseball lover, you know, all those things. You just happen to have dementia too. Who cares? <laughs> and, and that's kind of the angle we want to get at with the condition. The condition doesn't define you. Again, it's person-centered. You're a human being with a, con a cognitive condition, just like I have hypertension. Who cares? <laughs> it's a diagnosis, right? But I can still contribute um, to our communities. I can still engage with our communities, um, especially if our communities are more equipped to engage with me. Um, and so uh, one of the things I think I'll end on, and, and, uh, as Natalie touched on too, when we talk about community awareness and better understanding, um, one of the things that I think it continues to remain underestimated but hugely challenging is even the healthcare industries, industry itself and its understanding um, of the condition, particularly in their primary care settings. Um, there was a re recent report, I, I think it was from AARP that just recently came out, that still to this day has highlighted um, the the dangerous challenges that are being faced in primary care settings by primary care physicians not diagnosing and not disclosing this condition to folks because they still feel like one there's nothing I can do about it it's only going to be a burden so why even why even share this with them which again is misunderstanding and, and stigma of the condition um, and when that happens you know the best treatment I think is the education and interventions from the Alzheimer's associations and, and other resources that we've talked about today, but people are only going to get to those interventions early on if they have a diagnosis and, and know what what pathways to take. And so there's still a lot of work to do, I think, even in that regard, which we're all actively chipping away at. But um, that's what we aim to do. And we made a lot of progress, but my goodness, there's still a lot of ways to go. I just wanted to share, this is Joanne, I just wanted to share that two weeks ago uh, I'd been doing some work with the Living Longer Living Better Guide, which again focuses on um, encouraging communities to do age and dementia friendly initiatives. And we've talked with senior centers, we've talked with um, faith communities, faith community nurses, and uh, two weeks ago there was a minister in Kokomo who became very interested in seeing how faith communities could could begin to uh, to bring about more age and dementia friendly initiatives. And we connected her with Dementia Friends Indiana and uh, they uh, began to work with her. And I'm expecting to hear that there will be some dementia friendly initiatives within Howard County very, very shortly. Uh, and and just to say that you know churches and and synagogues and faith communities are are filled with people who are uh, struggling with dementias and it's it's uh, the the work that dementia friends uh, started in in Kokomo and throughout the state uh, there are resources out there and um, and uh, so. Uh, just to help people become aware. So Dustin, thank you very much. And 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 that leads us right into Lisa's work with uh, within primary care settings and clinics down in southwestern Indiana. And I'm looking forward to hearing about some of the work you're doing with your your federally funded geriatric workforce enhancement program. Lisa, could you share some of your work, please? 
You bet. And congratulations on getting that entire grant title out in one one breath. Sometimes it can it, it feels a little heady. So we do call it the GWEP just for the audience to know. So it's a little bit on the abbreviated side, thankfully. Um, yeah, so what we're doing in uh, Southwest Indiana is, is, is really exciting. I appreciate everybody, all your comments that you have certainly made. It's uh, it's really it's a good feeling and very positive to hear so many there's similarities yet people are focused in their in their little niches and it's really neat though to watch it watch it coming together um in in indiana so the gwep is a 3.7 million dollar grant over five years and we have five objectives that we are uh, looking to meet and one of them as dr burke uh, mentioned was to be in uh, clinics and uh, that is we're, we do things in clinics such uh, we work very closely with deaconess and uh, they help to do referrals and those referrals go to some of our partners who happen to be the Alzheimer's Association, a couple of area agencies on aging. Um, and, and so the intertwining, I guess you could say, of the partnering arrangements kind of allows for a lot of touch points to people in the community, both from that provider perspective, as well as in the community at large. So those efforts are happening uh, and continue to be focused on, as well as one of our other objectives is to help to initiate dementia-friendly communities. And uh, we have done that. Uh, kind of dementia-friendly communities is also an initiative under Dementia Friends America, uh, which Dustin was speaking about Dementia Friends Indiana. They're, they're related in there. And, uh, and it does have a lot to do with going into the communities and pulling together action teams and sector stakeholders that also includes a clinic component uh, and also and then educating them so that the example that Kathy gave early on about Kroger uh, that people are able to go to their local grocery store and they understand how to interact and engage with a person living with dementia. So we're happy just through our GWEP initiative that we have started a dementia friendly community in Rockport, uh, which is uh, in Spencer County as along with Petersburg and this fall we are hoping to get some legs up under what we're we're titling USI community uh, which has to do with our university setting and then that outreach but some of some of the exciting things that we've got planned is we're going to start uh, a college age support group we're working we work with both chapters of the Alzheimer's Association in Greater Indiana as well as Greater Kentucky and Southern Indiana uh, and so we've been working with them to start talking about what does that look like and it's actually going to be student led. So we're really super excited about that. Um, the Rockport and Petersburg communities continue to grow. It uh, feels like every week, but they're looking, they're starting a memory cafe and they're also paving uh, stronger relationships with the Alzheimer's Association for some of those educational components. Uh, we are really just threading it back. We are happy to have uh, a Greater Indiana chapter to come into Deaconess Clinic and, and actually provide uh, some uh, training around Alzheimer's and what resources are available. So I feel like what the real aim of the GWEP is, is a lot of that solidifying of those partners around this very important, not just subject of dementia, that too, 
but the stigma that surrounds us. And the more we can put resources at it and information and education and support and just getting people involved and talking about it really can create that that kind of that common ground that allows for some of that shifting in society to happen to hopefully one day we will be able to talk about it like we do about AIDS or cancer or congestive heart failure or whatever that seems so off the hand oh so and so has something instead of being looked at like oh right and and kind of these these bad verbiage as get that gets put around uh dementia so um just to wrap up, the, uh, the the GWEP is in a 12 county region in southwest Indiana and certainly partnering arrangements and keeping this topic at the forefront is very top of our our initiative of what we are trying to accomplish. That is one. This is Joanne. That's wonderful to hear about all the initiatives that you have underway in southwest Indiana. You know, uh, I'm going to ask QSource uh, when this podcast is published, please be sure. And uh, in addition to the Living Longer, Living Better guide that uh, will be listed as a resource, let's be sure that we also get um, web addresses and contact information for each of your programs uh, across Indiana. Because, you know, sometimes when I begin to talk with people about some of the changes that are about to happen, with long-term services and supports in Indiana, they get overwhelmed and very concerned and, and, and get and say, oh, this is scary. On the other hand, uh, this change is giving us some opportunities and it's giving us opportunities to, to do some things a little bit differently and to get resources out to people. And that's really what we, we, we can do this. We can make these changes. We're just going to have to roll up our sleeves. And yes, indeed, we're going to have to do something a little bit differently. Uh, we have for a very long time relied probably a little more heavily than we should have. We know we, we, we have in Indiana on, on institutional care. We really need institutional care. We need nursing homes, but we also need to support people uh, when they are living at home or with their children. And we can do this. And so this has just been, this has been a fantastic uh, conversation this afternoon. And it really makes me proud of Indiana. We've got so much happening in Indiana right now. And so many of you are working so very hard uh, to help life be better for those of us who are older here in Indiana and for our families. So. Uh, thank you so much, QSource, for the opportunity to do this podcast, and thank you to each of uh, our participants this afternoon in this, this wonderful conversation. So um, it's the hope of the Indiana Commission on Aging that we just get in there and uh, we make some positive changes as we move forward. And um, so thank you again, everyone. Really appreciate this. Thank you for joining the conversation. If you found this conversation of interest, we encourage you to join the conversation by visiting us online at qsource.org slash conversation podcast. The conversation was produced by QSource, the Quality Innovation Network Quality Improvement Organization for Indiana, under a contract with the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. Content does not necessarily reflect CMS policy.